you know, you sing a song like that, if you actually take the words into your soul, <laughs> you realize what we've been saying uh, the last four or five or six weeks, that um, it's imperative that each one of us reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. Um, and I, I kind of mean that on a daily basis. I, I don't mean, well, I did that once. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every day I wake up and I have a brainwave, I'm considering the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I, you, yeah, if you have a problem with that, listen to this song. <laughs> listen to the song we just sang. Um, hopefully that's in part what all this, this series is about. One, that we see the greatness of God. We see His true character, His true nature uh, that is often ignored in the modern church. And to look at God's holy True, righteous, just nature drives us to Jesus Christ. It will drive you to Christ. This is one reason that I believe in many uh, so-called churches these days, you have many, many, many uh, pseudo-Christians. You have many, many false conversions. Um, they, they did the formula, but they're not reckoning with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God every day. They're not really reckoning with that. They haven't seen him as Isaiah saw him. Right? We talked about it a few weeks ago. They haven't seen him high and lifted up, and they, they've, they've not understood they're ruined without a great Savior. They've not understood it. They did a formula. My pastor said, do this, but they've not really dealt with. You know, I, I'll just be honest with you. This week I was studying this text and the New Testament texts that buttress it, and uh, I trembled. Now, um, in my soul, I trembled. And, and I just say to you, if you don't find any opportunity to tremble as you are in Scripture, I just lovingly say, maybe you, shouldn't, maybe you should pray about that. It was unexpected. It was somewhat unexpected for me. But as I considered a truth that I, had, I have long understood, and the weight of it landed on me in a brand new way, um, <laughs> yeah, I was like... <laughs> Wow. Um, you know, we should, have those, we should have those times of wow with God. So, all that is free. Um, some things are just always true, right? Uh, every morning you wake up, the sun comes up in the east, the sky is always blue. If you drop something, gravity always works. Some things are just always true. And we know from the Bible, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We get it. What goes around comes around. No one makes a fool of God. Uh, you can't read the Bible very far. You find out no one's making a fool of Yahweh, right? And this is explicit all the way through the Old and New Testaments. Um, if you know just a little bit about the Old Testament, you know that Pharaoh ordered the murder of the firstborn of Israel, uh, Exodus 1. Uh, this would come back to him. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. Write it down. Um, if you've never heard this before, this is a cosmic reality. You will stand before God and you will reap what you have sown. Unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Not covered in a religious ordinance or a magic prayer, but covered 
in the blood of Jesus Christ. Pharaoh's murderous edict is it's how Moses ended up in that wicker basket in the Nile. It's how he ended up being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. It's how he ended up being raised as a prince. Um, let me just share with you Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, just quickly. You probably remember the famous text. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. You know, maybe remember how that ends. He was looking what? For the reward. So I'm just going to stop and ask you, is that what your life is all about? I know you're busy, but uh, is the background music of your life, is it all about, I'm looking to the reward. So in my marriage, in my job, in my relationships, I'm looking to the reward. What does that mean? I'm always taking into account the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I'm always taking that into account. That's never peripheral. It's always central for me. I love what John MacArthur says about the reaping and sowing. From a worldly perspective with respect to Moses, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. It looked like he was doing that. But from a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. I hope you guys get this. I think you probably do. I hope you understand this. <laughs> you never give up anything, really, ultimately, for God that he doesn't bring back to you a um, hundredfold. Minimum, hundredfold. Um, so, I'm going to ask you, what have you decided? Moses was faced with the decision to align himself with this world or the next. Now, we're all in church, so we're all going to say the right thing. My point is, what about tomorrow morning? What will you decide tomorrow morning? What will you decide tomorrow morning? Will you align yourself with this world and its priorities, or will you align yourself with God and His priorities? You have to weigh it out. Each one of us weigh it out. There's some place where we do a transaction, and I'm weighing it out. God is gain, this is dust. You know? Or I'm saying, oh, I want, I want the temporal thing. I'll come to God later. I'll, I'll deal with God later. You know, I'll pray the prayer later. Um... We have to weigh it out. So I'll ask you do, you, hear, do you hear gain in going with God or do you hear loss? Jesus said it perfectly. You know the text. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's true, right? It's just true. That's where your heart is. He goes on, you cannot serve God and money. So I'll ask you again, where is gain for you? What is it that you preeminently desire and pursue? I'll tell you one more time, maybe another. Whatever a man sows, he'll reap. Just mark it down. This is the word of God. You know the story? God shows up and he calls Moses out. I love when this happens. It happened to me. I trust it's happened to you. God shows up one day, somewhat unexpectedly, and he changes everything, right? Um, if you know, you know the story, 
Moses said, what's your name? We, we went through this a couple of weeks ago. I am who I am, he says. Uh, in short, Yahweh. This is my name, Yahweh. I am who I am. He's, God, he's the God who just is. He just is. He's always been. He, he just is. That should blow your mind. It should blow your mind. It should be worship provoking. He just is. Eternity, pa eternity past just is. <laughs> he is the Alpha. And he is the Omega. So, you may remember Moses tried to excuse himself. God called Moses to a great task. He's called some of you to a great task. You say, well, Jim, uh, I'm never going to end up in a history book. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about God calling you outside your comfort zone in faith to do a deed, to do a work, to be the man or woman he means for you to be. Moses tried to excuse himself five times. If you know the text, right? Five times. And he's having a supernatural experience with a burning bush and he's trying to excuse himself. You have to really think about this. You have to put yourself here. What is he doing? What is he talking about? You know, this is how hesitant we are in just simply following God. Listen, I've, I've been a Christian a long time. I know sometimes there's a hesitancy there. We're doing the math, right? You got to stop doing the math. My, my, Moses is doing the math. And he's trying to excuse himself. He's looking at his resume instead of God's resume. This is always a huge mistake. And I love this part. God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? What was it? You tell me. It's his staff, right? It's his staff. Just to show Moses, it doesn't matter what his resume looks like. He tells Moses, I'll deliver my people with that stick in your hand. I'll do it through the stick in your hand. Your resume doesn't matter, Moses. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. Oh, you got a stick in your hand? I'll do it through that stick in your hand. I love this. I think this is a beautiful lesson for us to learn. God tells Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. You heard it. It was in the text. God means to destroy Pharaoh. Whatever you sow, you will reap. God means to destroy him. God means to do it. I love how it's written by the Apostle Paul, Romans 9, 17 to 21. Let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Listen to what God says. For this very purpose, I, he's talking to Pharaoh, I raised you up. Now you have to think about this. If this doesn't cause you to tremble, you're not understanding. You're not understanding what God is saying. He says, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you. That my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. I've raised you up, Pharaoh, and I'm going to crush you, Pharaoh, in your obstinance. And I'll be glorified in it. This is exactly what the Lord is saying. This is a, a poor, shall we say, Jim Albright paraphrase. And listen, God continues, Romans 9. So then he has mercy. God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. I trembled right here. Okay? This is where I begin to tremble this week. I've read this passage many, many times. I've quoted it many, many times. And Paul knows you hate this. Paul knows you hate it that God's sovereign in salvation. He knows you hate it. The Holy Spirit knows you hate it. Look what he says. 
You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Does not the potter have the right over the clay? Tremble! Right? It's Isaiah 66, 2. God says, I'll look to this man, man who's humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Now, if you think deeply about this, okay, where did, I wrote it down somewhere. I forget where it is now. I'll find it later. I think it's Piper's, it's chapter 20-something. I'll get to it in my notes in, in just a minute. Piper develops this whole thing about Pharaoh and being, his heart being hardened. It's in his book the, uh, entitled Providence. It's a must read for every true believer. Yes, it's a 711 pages, but you will, you will worship and you probably will learn a lot and you'll probably be changed. <laughs> Beloved, if God's not sovereign, we're all going to land in hell. And you don't need to be afraid of the sovereignty of God. Yeah, it causes us to tremble. It causes the true believer to tremble into light. I'm saved like this, right? <laughs> I'm saved like this. I like what Piper says. He talks about it. He says, you know, this will, this will uh, evoke trembling amazement. Trembling amazement. You know, Jim Albright, I wasn't just sitting in a Baptist church when, when I was 28 years old and I decided I was going to accept Christ for the, you know, I've been sitting in that church for uh, 28 years. You know, my parents always had me in there and I'd been there my whole life. And I, I can just give testimony. I know everything changed for me. I understand about being born again. I hope that you do too. Not everybody's conversion is spot on, but I had a spot on thing. I, I can go to the moment. I can go to it. And so it's a powerful, powerful thing for me. Listen, you've got to love Romans 9. A lot of people won't go there. A lot of people don't, you, you won't, many preachers won't preach it. But if it's not for Romans 9, you and I both go to hell forever. So God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused uh, for him to go. Behold, I, listen to God, listen to what he says. Behold, I will kill your son. This is personal. We've talked about this many times in here. It's always personal. Sin is always personal. You say, no, Jim, it's not really personal. I don't have God in mind when I sin. It doesn't matter whether you have God in mind or not. It is personal against him. It's an affront to who he is and his authority and his word. Be sure, be assured, whatever you sow, you will surely reap. So every day God is doing two things in the world. You've heard me say this a hundred times. He's always saving. He's always judging. He's always doing these two things. God is never, he's never neutral. He's never neutral. Yahweh's not neutral. He's saving or he is judging. We'll see this played out in the drama between Israel and Egypt. As God delivers Israel, he crushes Egypt. This is Romans 1. God has given Pharaoh and Egypt over to judgment. He has given them over. Go read Romans 1 if you're not familiar with it. He has given them over to the consequences of their own sin and desire and rebellion. 
There is a point when God just gives a man over. It's what Romans 1 is talking about. It's what we're talking about here with Pharaoh. I will harden your heart and I will destroy you because of your rebellion against me. Now, we're not supposed to look away from this. As we talked about last week, we're not supposed to look away. We're supposed to understand this about God. We should delight in this about God. God is holy. He will not tolerate sin. So what I want to say to you, Pharaoh's living his life. He's doing what, he, what kings do. He's comfortably reclining in his palace, but he's damned. It's over. It's over. This is God's judicial prerogative. He judges a man at his timing, at his prerogative. It's over for Pharaoh. He's damned. He doesn't know it, but it's over for Pharaoh. He is irreversibly damned. He will spend eternity in hell. God has made his judgment. It's always a dangerous dance to presume upon the patience and forbearance of God. And as an old man, I can say this is a game I've watched many people play. You know, I have people that are close to me and my family that they, they're still playing this game. Well, I'll come to God when it's convenient. If you read Romans 9 and the account in, about Pharaoh in Exodus, you won't be thinking like that. You, won't, you, won't, you would never say something like that or even think something like that. You don't come to God at your convenience. You come to God at His convenience. This is biblically true. Much of Christendom hates it, but it's true. <laughs> um, you should tremble. You should tremble. It's the appropriate response. Egypt's destruction is historical evidence of the glory of God revealed in His infinite fury. He will be, I think I said it last week or the week before, He will be glorified in His justice and righteousness and wrath and vengeance and recompense. He will be. Why is the church afraid to say it? God is not afraid to say it. God is unapologetic. I will be honored as I crush Pharaoh. He says it multiple times in the Exodus. Now, if you don't believe me, read it yourself. I will crush you, he says. It made me think of the psalm. I didn't look it up. Is it Psalm 1 or is it? No, I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't look it up. I normally look up all the verses that I quote. The kings of the earth take their stand and they take counsel together against the Lord. And what does the Lord do? Who knows? What does the Lord do? He laughs. He laughs. The kings, the presidents, the potentates, the prime ministers, they are less than nothing before him. So what God did for Israel in crushing Egypt vividly illustrates the ultimate theodicy that I've shared with you a couple of times in this series. I'm going to read it again. Because you should tremble. These are two of the most important verses in the Bible. If we are to have a full-orbed view of who, what, when, where, and why regarding God and how He works, 
how he saves and how he damns, you have to know this passage. And it's okay to tremble, beloved. It's okay to tremble. It's, you know what? It's, it's not okay not to tremble. If we're understanding God, we will tremble at the magnitude of the grace He has shown us. Because He didn't need to save us. He shouldn't have saved us. Right? So let me read the text. Romans 9, 22 to 23. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath, which he's, He is willing... He's very willing. I'll harden your heart. That's how willing I am. And make his power known. He endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Okay? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. You, you have to notice this. He didn't prepare the vessels of wrath beforehand. He did prepare the vessels of mercy beforehand. This is an important distinction. This is a very important distinction. This is one reason the Bible uses the words predestined, called, chosen, and elect. Why anything, why everything? Romans 9, 22 and 23. God is making known the riches of His glory upon the vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. A lot of people don't like Romans 9. They don't like the words predestined, called, chosen, and elect. Some of you may not like it. Um, I'll be honest with you, I've never understood it. We're either Bible believers or we're not. And you declare yourself, right? You declare yourself. But if, if Romans 9.18 is not true, you have no hope, nor do I. Romans 9, 18, God has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. I know it's not preached like this in many places. I know. I get it. And that, listen, if you're not there theologically, then go to work. <laughs> I did a lot of work. I spent 10 years on Romans 9. Um, go to work. God doesn't mean for you to look away. God means for you to be in awe. He means for you to be in awe that He hardens Pharaoh's heart and crushes him. And when I get to that chapter in Piper's book, I'll clue you in and then you can go read all the detail that he has there because it's good. You know, somebody asked me, well, Jim, why did you write this book, Dangerous God? I may have shared this with you already uh, some months ago. Why did you write this book? What does God say? Behold what? The kindness and... What was it? Behold my kindness and severity. The problem with the modern church is we look away from His severity. We ignore it. Um, we explain it away. We rationalize it. We... Yeah, that's what we do. Why did I write the book? One, because I needed it. I needed to mature. God says, behold the kindness and severity of mine. Behold it. He means for us to understand that He has a holy hatred for sin. And He does not intend for us 
to look away. God reveals and illustrates these truths in this drama between Israel and Egypt. He brings destruction on the vessels of wrath, Egypt, that he may make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy. It's Romans 9. You heard me read the text, Exodus 7, 4 and 5, at the beginning of the service. God says, I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by what? Great judgments. He's unapologetic. He's not hiding it. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand upon it. He says, I will be known as a great God in, a, in judgment, not just in salvation, but in great judgment. It's the whole drama here. Israel's being saved. Egypt is being judged. It's what God says. He said that they may know I am God. You know, some men simply will not bow the knee until God lands on them in the fullness of his wrath, right? They will not bow the knee. The arrogance and the narcissism and the self-absorption is stunning. You know, I talk to some people about God and it's just stunning. They will not bow the knee. But they will ultimately... Beloved, this is one thing the saved and the damned will have forever in common. Neither will ever forget that Yahweh is God. It is the ultimate lesson God would have for us to take away from his demolition of Egypt. And I'll show that to you here in just a moment. You may recall in the first two appearances before Egypt, uh, before the king there, Moses delivered God's message to let his people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart and he refused. And then God unleashes 10 plagues. Now, obviously the Lord could have done this in one plague. There's a purpose in this. I'm not sure I can fully fathom why there are this many plagues. But he is showing that he's sovereign over creation and he's sovereign. He has the, the omnipotent power to crush anyone he pleases. Okay, so he is dismantling the great nation of Egypt, one step at a time. So I'm going to summarize these plagues very, very quickly. And I'm doing this for two reasons. To underscore how competent and thorough God is in judgment. He's comprehensive. He's exacting. He's exhaustive. He, he leaves nothing undone. He cannot be dissuaded. Once he sets to judge, he cannot be held back, and he does not hold back. Secondly, the account highlights man's absolute suicidal bent against God, no matter how blatantly obvious the evidence of God's presence, power, and glory are. So here's the truth about God and the truth about man all played out right here in the Exodus text. You may remember the plagues began in chapter 7. God is going to destroy Pharaoh and Egypt again. God says, Exodus 7, 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? What does it say? What does your Bible say? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? I just want to make sure we don't miss this point. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? That what? Important word. That. I will do this. That. I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. 
My people will tremble and my enemies will tremble. There's no yawning before Yahweh. Never does anyone yawn before Yahweh. According to my account, let me just share this with you. I found it interesting. By the way, here's the note. Chapter 29 of Piper's book. You have to go read it. Be prepared to worship. Be prepared to lay on your face. With respect to hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's mentioned 17 times in the text. Three times, the NASB, that's my translation, most literal from the Hebrew. Three times, it reads, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Four times, the NASB translates it, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Ten times, the NASB translates it, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The, the point in all this is God wants you to make sure that we don't misunderstand. God is decisive here. Pharaoh is not decisive. God is decisive. God is decisive. He has determined to judge Pharaoh. He hardens his heart and he is going to crush him along with the nation of Egypt. So it's important, it's important that we understand this connection between these two biblical truths. God's judgment and God's glory. He means for us to see it. He means for us to understand it. God is overtly hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's Romans 1 in judgment. God is giving Pharaoh over to the consequences of his sin too. And God is being glorified as he multiplies his signs and wonders. This is what judgment is. These are the two purposes that God has as he crushes Egypt. And we get, we get a reference of this in, in Joshua. We get the importance of this, a reference to the importance of it in Joshua. Who remembers what Rahab said to the spies? Does anybody remember? She says, she said, we heard about this. We know your God is God. We've heard about this. Do you see when God judges the rebels? It's, it's, it's like the best sermon ever preached to the remnant. Rahab said, who's mentioned in Hebrews 11, the harlot, mentioned in the great faith chapter, right? She says, we've heard about it. I'll give you the text. You can go look it up for yourself later. Joshua 2, 9 and 11. God will be glorified. Okay, here are the plagues, just quickly. First plague, turning the Nile to blood. It says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not acknowledge that the Lord is God. The frogs covered the land. Pharaoh's hardened, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He did not yet acknowledge the Lord is God. The next plague, lice and gnats covered the land. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not acknowledge that the Lord is God. Fourth plague, flies and insects. Uh, Pharaoh feigned repentance, but he hardened his heart. He did not acknowledge that Yahweh is God. Livestock pestilence. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He had not yet acknowledged that the Lord is God. Boils on man and beast. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not acknowledge that the Lord is God. Plague seven. Hail and flashing fire. Pharaoh, the text says, sinned again and hardened his heart. He did not acknowledge that Yahweh is God. 
Number eight, locusts. Twice the text tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's in chapter 10. Pharaoh did not acknowledge that the Lord is God. The ninth plague, darkness. I always love this, a darkness that could be felt. I don't know what that means, but it sounds ominous. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He refused to acknowledge that the Lord is God. So Pharaoh is unyielding. He's obstinate. He's full of defiant arrogance. He would not acknowledge his creator is God. Pharaoh exercised his will. I want you to see this. There's real sin here. You can't blame God for Pharaoh's sin. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart. He exercised his will. He hardened his heart. But here's the thing. God exercised his will and hardened Pharaoh's heart. God has a will. He has a right. He is the potter. We are the clay. He can do whatever he pleases. Now, we know he's confined by the fact that he will only do what is righteous because he's a righteous and holy God. He can never be uh, accused of unrighteousness. So we know that the judgment that befell Pharaoh is perfectly just and righteous. It's just a biblical axiom. God allows men to exercise their will, but He certainly will exercise His. Exodus 11 and 12, God tells Moses, about midnight, I am. Listen, He, he says it, I am. He says, I'm not, He doesn't say I'm sending an angel. He says, I am. I am going into the midst of the land, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt will die. And moving down just a little bit, but Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord again. We're back to Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. Again, I want to make the point. God says, I will do it. This is personal. God says, I will kill the firstborn of Egypt. You say, Jim... Why do you keep making this point? Because I think it's very, it's possible. If not probable. That some of us have this Pollyanna view of God. We look at God through rose-colored glasses because this is what we, this is how we've heard him preach our whole lives. God says, I kill and I make alive. He says it clearly. I don't remember the text off the top of my head. If you want it, I'll send it to you. God does this. Don't look away. Don't critique God. Don't be squeamish. Listen, you can't be squeamish. You if you're going to go with Jesus Christ, if you're going to go with the Lion of Judah, you can't be squeamish. <laughs> okay? Because big God stuff is going to happen. And you just go read Revelation. You see what happens. You see what God has said at the end times. I don't have to belabor the point. You just go read the book. You go read the book of, of Revelation. God exercised His prerogative to render our wages to us as seems good to Him. And the text reads, Exodus 12, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. There was no home where there was not someone dead. Again, God killed every man, woman, boy, and girl who was first 
born. What's the body count? I've seen estimates 20,000 to 100,000. Why do I keep reminding you? I just told you. Let's look at the God who is, not the God caricature that I learned in my denomination. God will execute perfect justice in accordance with his unimpeachable purposes based solely upon his flawless timetable. He does not consult with men nor seek their sanction. He doesn't need your approval. <laughs> he doesn't need it, nor does he seek to have it. So as noted earlier, God judges Egypt and he saves Israel. You know the great story. We all know the great story. It's called the Passover. We know about the blood over the, the, on the doorposts and, and on the lintel. This is a picture of Christ. You can't miss it. miss it. This is a picture of Christ. How was Israel saved? By the blood of Christ. How will you be saved? If you are saved, it will be by the blood of Christ. It won't be by your church doings or your moral character. It will be by the blood of Christ. Your moral character is, you know, filthy rags before a holy God. Just like mine, I have to have a great Savior. I have to. Or I'll be just like Pharaoh. Man, I, I got to have a great Savior. God willing, this series is driving all of us to that deep and abiding and pervasive understanding. You can't miss Jesus here. This Old Testament imagery is just a foreshadowing of the New Testament reality. We will be saved by the blood of Christ, we are blood-bought sinners. It's interesting to note that in the first exchange Moses had with Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord your God. He said, I don't know him. Well, relationally, we get it. But in a hardwiring sense, we know that he's lying. The Bible's clear. The Bible tells us that we do know God. It's not that we don't know God's there. It's that we do know God's there. Right? You know the great text, and I'll read it to you. Romans 1, 19 to 20. Because that which is known about God, is, it's evident. It's evident within you. It's within you. For God made it evident to them. God says it. I've, I've made this clear to you. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Okay, it's, it's known within and it's seen without. You have no excuse. No one has an excuse. These things have been understood through what has been made so that they, here it is, are without excuse. One of my favorite things to say is you may be a liar, but you're not an atheist. You may be a liar, but you're not an agnostic. You know, you know. God knows you know. All the rest of it is just mind games and chatter, right? God knows that you know. While man viscerally and intuitively knows that God is there, when it comes to wrath, he must recognize and acknowledge. This is why God is crushing Egypt, that they may know. He knows they know, but now there's no debate. He will crush his enemies. He will do it. Scripture tells us that every human being instinctively knows that the Lord is God. But when judgment comes, he must face that supreme cosmic reality. And here's the deal. Pharaoh will have no choice but to acknowledge that Yahweh is God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will acknowledge that Yahweh is God. This will be the ever-present realization 
that will overwhelm and grip the mind of Pharaoh forever in hell. But God's not through. He's let the Jews go. You guys know what happens. God hards Pharaoh's heart and he sends his chariots after him, right? <laughs> He's not through with them yet. God says, I will be honored through Pharaoh, his army and his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I'm God. Make no mistake. Every created being will know that Yahweh is God. You say, well, Jim, the guys down at work, they don't believe. Well, they will. It's just a matter of time. They will believe. Every man will believe. Because what will happen to them is exactly what has happened to Egypt and Pharaoh. You bow up against God, you're arrogant before God. So you know the story, the Hebrews are backed up against the Red Sea. And God destroys the militia as they go in after the Jews. Moses says a beautiful thing here that I've always loved. It's one of my favorite verses in Exodus. Moses, you may remember the text. It's Exodus 14. I'm going to have to turn over there real quick because there's something that happens there that, that I've always loved. You remember, the, okay, the, the chariots are coming, the people are screaming. Uh, chapter 14 of um, chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 14, the Lord says, the Lord, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Don't you love it? The Lord will fight for you. Man, take that home. Believe that. Live that. The Lord will fight for you. But listen to what he says in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Go on. I love this. It's like, go on. Do it. Right? Just stop crying out to me. Do it. I love it. I love that. So the waters, you know the text, the waters covered the chariots and the horsemen. His entire army, Pharaoh's entire army, had gone into the sea. And it was destroyed. It is true, and I'll say it one more time, and I won't say it anymore tonight. In wrath, God's fearsome, terrifying judgment in his judgment he is terrifyingly magnified so let's close with this Israel's song to uh, to Yahweh they, they've, they've watched him destroy their enemy right they've been graciously delivered the enemy's been destroyed these are just some excerpts from Exodus 15 3 through 18 they sing the Lord Yahweh is a warrior your right hand O Lord is majestic in power it shatters the enemy and in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as chaff. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? The peoples have heard they've trembled. Anguish has gripped them. Terror and dread have fallen upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as a stone. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Go read it, Exodus 15. So ultimately, every human being will acknowledge that the Lord is God. It's Philippians 2, right? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, even the damned. 
What is true for Pharaoh is true for everyone who denies, ignores, or is indifferent toward Yahweh. In experiencing God's wrath poured out against him, Pharaoh finally believed that the Lord is God. And he will never stop believing it, for there are no unbelievers in hell. This should drive all of us to the cross. It should drive us all to the cross.